I'm Trana Winter, a writer, comedian, singer, basically Barbara Streisand minus the money and some of the talent. And I'm Thomas LeBlanc, a gay Quebecois host and producer who's really, really, really into Celine Dion. We're the hosts of Chosen Family, a CBC podcast where we speak to our heroes about what it means to find community in the creative process. Chosen Family is available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. So, Elena, I understand this episode is about autism. Yeah. Please take it in the right spirit when I said I'm excited about it because I don't know anything about it and I want to learn about autism. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited too. I have a bit of a connection to this topic. Uh, my brother's autistic and I have some autistic friends and I've seen them talk about things they get asked. And especially talking to my friend Michael, a question they brought up to me is, are you sure? As in like, oh, are you sure you're really autistic? Are you sure they asked that question? Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell if you're trying to lead me down a serious thought pattern or like no. if this was just dad joke. <laughs> okay, so here is a bit of a confession. A lot of inappropriate questions which we have discussed in the past, I have been at least uh, guilty of thinking a few of them myself. Mm-hmm. But this one, I can I can claim some moral superiority. <laughs> I would have never asked this question. I mean, why would I question anybody what they're telling me about themselves? Mm. Makes no sense. Well, I feel you. Go off, Harv. I support this. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think from what I've heard specifically, this question gets asked to autistic folks who people assume aren't autistic because of how they look or act and how it falls outside of the person's expectations about what autism quote unquote looks like Mm. but don't quote me on that we will i'm (laughs) sure get into more of where this question comes from very shortly for sure for sure first up we're speaking to jamila who goes by jam they run the tiktok to jam for you where they share their experiences of being an autistic black woman in toronto so jam Tell us a bit about how you got into making TikToks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I am 30 years old, which seems like an old age to be on TikTok. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel like most people who are not 12 got on TikTok in the pandemic. They're really bored. Um, And that was me. And I had also just gotten Mm -hmm. my diagnosis. And so I wanted to kind of see what people were talking about and hear it from actual individuals instead of just, you know, Mm -hmm. medical texts and autism mommies talking about how hard their lives are. Mm -hmm. So I want to see what other autistics had to say. And Mm -hmm. oh man, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. Autism TikTok or autist TikTok. Oh my God. An amazing play on words. Brilliant. It's like, it's the happiest place on earth. I love seeing other people talking about stuff and just like so many things. I thought I was living a very authentic, original experience. Turns out, no, I'm just like one of many. Everybody's living the exact same life as me, apparently. (laughs) Wow. Was that a comforting moment or was it like, damn it, I'm not original anymore? (laughs) Honestly, I don't want to be original, especially if like a lot of your original experiences are like not fantastic. Right. It's nice to Mm -hmm. know that other people like it's not a you problem. 
you know. Yeah, yeah. Guys, that brings me to a point, uh, slightly off topic. I think I should start a project management TikTok. Oh, no. <laughs> Why not? Harv is, for context, a project manager at a bank. <laughs> sure. Which uh, he regularly tells us the most most exciting job ever. So I please tell me how this goes. Like Jigmeet Singh, I'll do a dance about uh, project management. <laughs> there's always there's always um, a niche market for anything on TikTok. Like you would you would be surprised. Like there's probably someone out there that's like, wow, this is great. Blow it up. It's viral. <laughs> so, Jam, if I may, uh, two parts. A, when you were growing up, did you suspect there was anything different with you? And B, how did you find out that you were autistic? I knew I was different my entire life. There's, I can almost guarantee there's no autistic who's running around thinking that they're just mm-hmm. having a normal experience. People <laughs> let you know okay. that you are different. Mm-hmm. And right. it, a lot of autistics are even bullied as kids because we have different interests, different way of existing. Mm-hmm. I kind of always knew without knowing And then people would find this embarrassing. I don't find this embarrassing because this is my special interest. But I like reading romance novels like a lot. Like I read one a day. Damn. I love romance novels. One a day. Yeah, I'm like impressed. I'm just such a slow reader that I'm like, damn, love that. I read a lot. It just makes me so happy. But that's that's actually how I found out I was autistic through a romance novel. Oh, damn. Um, I was reading this book with an autistic character and it was by an autistic Mm character. author and I was like oh that's so neat let me read this book and as I'm reading it I'm like wow that's so relatable but I'm not autistic so (laughs) I'm not allowed to relate (laughs) like every single chapter I'm like same girl like we are living the same life but mm, you're autistic and I'm not wow figures I know so dumb (laughs) but I got to the end of the book and there was like an author's note and she was talking about how she didn't get diagnosed until she had a child who was going through the diagnostic process, which is mm. insanely common mm-hmm. because women are wildly underdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. And so she's talking about what that experience was like. And she learned about the term masking and she kind of explained the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it like full light bulb moment. I was like, hold on. Let me look this up real quick. And as soon as I started doing some research, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. This is it. I figured it out. And this was not too long ago, right? This was last year. I'm actually coming up. Tomorrow is the day that I started reading the book. Damn. Wow. I know. Weird, right? Happy anniversary. Thank you. (laughs) How did it feel making that discovery? It was the single most liberating experience of my entire life. Hmm. It was like, oh, my God, I've been walking around blindfolded Mm -hmm. and like I had no idea where I was going. Turns out I could just take the blindfold off and I can live my life now with this new context and understanding. And it has improved my life in so many ways that I couldn't have anticipated because I First of all, thought that everybody struggled like this. And if they didn't, mm-hmm. then it was a personal failing of mine that I was struggling mm. to find out that, no, it's a medical thing. It's like your mm-hmm. brain is built in a different way. Like, my God, amazing. I loved it. So happy for me. <laughs> Love that. Jam, uh, do you mind sharing the struggles which you are talking about? Mm-hmm. I had gone through my entire life thinking, like I felt very much like an outsider, like I was a 
alien that was hiding and trying to make sure that other people didn't find out that I was an alien. Mm -hmm. There's everything from like your sensory issues to um, needing your routines to be a very specific way to Mm -hmm. what is called quote unquote social deficits, which I don't agree with. I think Mm -hmm. it's a weird way to talk about people who like direct, honest, linear, no nonsense conversation. Apparently that's a social deficit if you just don't lie and tell people mm. exactly what you mean. <laughs> Certainly, I'm the weird one. Sorry, Jam. Uh, I'm still not very clear mm-hmm. of what those uh, trigger points were, like you are mentioning about those social ones and the sensory ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can be a little bit more uh, elaborate, if you can elaborate a little bit more. Okay. So, like, for example, if we're going to take a sensory issue, I have, like, really severe sensory issues around food. Like when I was a child, if I had to eat scalp potatoes or anything slightly wet, I would gag or vomit. If I had to take liquid medicine, my whole body would convulse with like panic and knowing that it was going to be a bad experience that I would like have a full Mm -hmm. meltdown. Mm -hmm. And then like it wasn't until I found out I was autistic that your clothes aren't supposed to make you want to scream and punch things and faint like You're close touching your body in certain ways. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. And it wasn't until somebody told me that's abnormal that I was like, oh, I'm having a separate experience than everybody else. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, now it makes 100% sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And with that example, it's, you know, sometimes it can really shift your perspective seeing that something that you thought was totally natural Mm -hmm. is really just not the way other people frame it or someone with like whose brain works differently from you frames it like yeah exactly uh what how do you find yourself socially different from other people you mentioned about lying but uh, anything else you would want to share with us so i don't naturally know how to just have a regular back and forth conversation i plan every conversation mm-hmm. that i have before i have it like if you're on the phone for example mm-hmm. you guys know when to say hello how are you doing How's your weekend? I don't know when I'm supposed to stop asking those random questions that I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't want to know how my doctor's weekend was. Why am I asking you on the phone? (laughs) (laughs) You make some points. (laughs) Yeah, like this is a thing that is expected of you. And I'm supposed to know when I'm supposed to pause and let them talk. I'm supposed to know when it's a natural conclusion to the conversation. You know what I mean? There's a thousand little things that are just not natural to me and I can't figure them out. Jam, this would be exhausting. Yes, I'm very tired all the time. (laughs) Yeah, no, because if I compare it with myself, because when I am going for certain meetings, which are with uh, fairly senior people, I just plan a few things that, you know, this is how the conversation is going to go. Even that's exhausting for me. And here you have to plan every conversation. Exactly. Because you have to be, because I have to be careful. I don't say too little or too much, right? That's, that, that was. The- yeah, yeah, exactly. And also you learn from a young age as an autistic that the way that we naturally talk, which is usually pretty monotone and you don't like to make eye contact and you don't use your body in the same way that other people do. Mm-hmm. They're not met with good responses. Like if somebody asked me how I'm doing, I'd be like, okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody else would say, I'm good. How are you doing? Mm. 
Right. Why do yeah. I need to know how you're doing? You ask me. That my brain only goes to you wanted an answer to my question. Right. Yeah. Conversation yeah. over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of little things that that we have to do that you learn from a very young age are necessary to get through the day. And unfortunately, it's very difficult and tiring, and we get burnt out. Mm-hmm. We're talking in this episode about the question: Are you sure? Uh, can you tell us about a time that you told someone? that you're autistic and someone met you with this question? Yeah. So every person I told um, before I got diagnosed. Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> um, God. <laughs> which some of them were not coming from a bad place. Right. There's a lot of reasons why people would ask that type of question. I think, mm. first of mm-hmm. all, we have this weird obsession with medical authority. Right. Mm. Where we think that doctors are the be all and end all of knowledge and they're all unbiased third party characters who have no interest in things one way or the other. And they, Hmm. they will know above anybody else what the answers are. And so it's like, oh, well, if a doctor didn't come to you with this information, you can't just decide it on your own. Who are you to say that you know what's going on in your brain? Mm -hmm. No, a doctor has to tell you what's going on in your brain. Then there's also people tend to speak on autism a lot without knowing very much about it you'll say hey i'm autistic or i'm thinking i might be and they're like really are you sure i don't think so and you'll be like oh okay so like what do you know about autism they're like nothing but i feel (laughs) like you can't have it Mm -hmm. there's like this weird need to like gatekeep what autism is and who is allowed to be autistic i think it has to do with a lot of ableism personally Mm -hmm. it's weird it's so confusing even My sister, who I'm very, very close to, and she knows everything about me, her first Mm -hmm. reaction was like, are you sure? And for her, she was coming from a place of, why didn't I notice this about you? Like, how did I not notice something? Mm. Yeah, but that's fair, though. Yeah, that's that's absolutely, I understand that. Um, Mm -hmm. It kind of took me aback, because usually she wouldn't have said something like that to me. She would have just been like, okay, true. Do you want to talk about it? Right. So it was kind of... Not discouraging, but it made me just go like, is this going to be every time I tell somebody, am I going to have to do this over and over and over? Right. And I think the one thing that people don't realize that question is asking is saying, show me your trauma, show me your guts and all your hardest life spots and all the ways that you struggled. And then if I hear enough of it, maybe I'll believe you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, so, Jam, uh, from your answer, it seems that you self-diagnosed yourself. Everyone self-diagnosed before you do anything with a doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. But have you also got it diagnosed from the doctor, for the record? Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, and if no, you... No, I was, no, no, I, no, 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 no. I'm not saying you. I'm saying, like, this is a conversation mm-hmm. I've had with other people. It's the weirdest thing. When it comes to your mental health right. or anything psychologically, self-diagnosis has this weird... Um, like stigma around it as if we don't call doctors by first trying to guess what's going on with us. Nobody's Mm -hmm. calling the doctor because they're like, everything's peachy keen. Can you check that everything is good for me? Or you go to a doctor and say, guess what's wrong with me? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Could you just quickly poke around and see what's going on? I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Guess. Medical mystery. Uh, I'm curious about how in the community, like, you know, online or with other autistic folks you've met, is self-diagnosis just, you know, accepted with open arms kind of at face value kind of thing? Like if someone's like, hey, 
Mm-hmm. I'm autistic. People are like, all right. I would say 95% of the community is like self-diagnosis is inherently valid. Like you're in, you're good, mm-hmm. you're autistic. Cool. Because to figure out that you're autistic, it's not just like you read the diagnostic criteria and you go, yep. And then you're done and you start walking right. around saying you're autistic. Right. You start reading all these textbooks and medical journals and you do every quiz you can find. And then you start compiling lists from every single person who's known you in t- your entire life. Like mm-hmm. we are Damn. doing the most to be sure because we're like, am I faking mm-hmm. it? What am I? Am I lying? Right. Am I doing something? Yeah. Nobody's going into it being like. You know what I want to try on today? Autism. That one doesn't have any stigmas around it. Nobody's going to infantilize you or potentially treat you like you're an idiot. Right, yeah. And beyond that, it is very hard to get diagnosed as an adult. First of all, it's very expensive. So if you go to a private place, it's usually at minimum $1,500. In the States, it's usually around $3,000, $4,000. Whoa. If you're lucky to be in Canada and have it covered, you have to wait a long time. Mm -hmm. I first got put on a list at CAMH and they were like, it's a two year waiting period to get in. Two years. Yes. And that's honestly like a pretty short period of time. I've seen people Uh, say four or five years. That sucks. And then if you're a woman, you're even less likely to get diagnosed because autism typically presents different in women than it does in men. Then you've got like any racial issues that you add in there, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then... To cap it all off, the diagnostic criteria was literally made after studying some young white boys that are autistic. Mm. I'm a 30-year-old black woman. I'm not playing with trains by myself in a dark room for six hours on end. I am Mm. reading romance novels for 12 hours in a dark room for days on end. That is different. (laughs) So... (laughs) If a woman goes in and is like, here's what I do differently than this little boy would do, a lot of doctors are like, yeah, well, it doesn't fit the exact criteria. You're out. Even though you're super duper autistic, it just is a different presentation. Right. right. Yeah. Damn. Speaking of presentations and how people expect autism to present or to quote unquote look like, what image do you think – most people have in their heads when people talk about autism they're talking about non-speaking quote-unquote low functioning we don't use that term anymore people who also have intellectual disabilities sometimes Mm. physical disabilities or if you're like temple granted and you're like a savant at something then they're like aha that is the only other presentation of autism Right, right. So if people see just someone who they perceive to be, quote unquote, more or less normal, I can see why then they'd be like, oh, wait, so Jam isn't either like this super genius or this person who I perceive to be really low functioning. I perceive Jam to be, quote unquote, normal. Exactly. And that's one of the big reasons why we don't use functioning labels anymore. First of all, they actually have a really horrible history. They were from the Holocaust, and Mm. it was how uh, autistics were separated and decided who was worth living and who wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not a great, it's not a great place to start to begin with. And then beyond that, people took the term spectrum in autism spectrum, and they went linear. Right. You were either closer to one end or closer to the other when it's not. It's kind of like a sphere with multi colors and it's all over the place for me 
I am a normal looking person, but like I can't really cook for myself. I most of the time need my sister to take my phone calls for me. I, there's a lot of things that I just can't do. Right. I'm sure yeah. I could force myself to do them, but then I would probably have a shutdown for a week. <laughs> but that doesn't make me high functioning. I'm not mm. functioning well. <laughs> like right, that is not right. that's not ideal. Um, so putting those labels mm-hmm. on people just doesn't make any sense. And you're not actually helping right. anybody by using those labels. You're not identifying where they need support. So what's the point? Right. Mm. Right. So I think I understand, but I'll still like to ask this question. Do you think asking an autistic person, are you sure, is an inappropriate question? I mean, why do you need to know? Like, yeah, it is kind of inappropriate. Like, if if you really want to know where this per like how this person came to this conclusion, there are other questions to ask. I've had good experiences with telling someone that I'm autistic and I've had negative ones. The negative ones typically start with, are you sure? Mm. The positive ones were like, oh my gosh, how did you figure that out? Wow. Can you tell me more? What was it like? How has that changed things for you? You are getting the same answers, Mm. but in a different way. And I feel different sharing sharing that information with you. Mm -hmm. If you want someone to close off and be like, well, now you're not a safe person. Then sure, you can say, are you sure? (laughs) Roll the dice, see what happens. Hi, I'm Anastasia Busas. I am a two-time Olympic speed skater. My whole life, I have been surrounded by athletes, and every one of them has a story that a scoreboard will never capture. It's not an easy thing to be with an athlete. They don't understand why they're making fun of me because I like to figure skate. Player's Own Voice is all about the person inside the performance. When you're so in it, I think perhaps we're the people that understand it the least. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Kit. I don't get the question, are you sure, a lot because I was professionally diagnosed, which I am very privileged to be able to access. Being able to say that, you know, I have been diagnosed by a professional does get me out of that question a lot. I mean, when I tell people I'm autistic, autistic people get infantilized a lot. Like people will like automatically talk down to you. It was, I worked at the crafting store. Basically, I would like sometimes have struggles that like were definitely contributed to my autism, where I like wouldn't make eye contact. I would like not be able to process all the things people were telling me. We had lots of great customers who were very kind, understanding, but like there were lots of people who would just get angry. So my solution was I should make a button that says I'm autistic. Please be patient on it and just wear that around the store. And people were usually very good about it, and it was really nice. And then um, one day my boss comes in, he's like, oh, hey, we got a call about your button. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And so apparently somebody had called the store and asked my boss, do you make her wear that? Which ties back into the infantilization thing. Like, instead of like just asking about it, this person thought I was being forced to because who on earth would admit they're autistic? I'm okay with talking. Like, I feel like if I'm wearing the button, the signal you're supposed to get is, yeah, we can talk about this. This is a quote from uh, 
Ted Lasso, but it's actually a quote by Walt Whitman. Be curious, not judgmental. If somebody is doing something you don't understand, maybe like being curious. If you see me like waving my hands or stimming in a way, and you're like, oh, that's weird. Please stop and think like, huh, that person's doing something I don't understand, but they're not hurting me and they're not bothering anyone. So why would it be an issue? Instead think, how can I help? Just accommodating people and their unique needs. It might take a little extra time sometimes, but like, it's just the right thing to do. Our next guest is here to bring us a broader perspective on autism. Sara Acevedo is an autistic mestiza woman and an assistant professor of disability studies at Miami University. So from your personal and professional experience, how would you define autism? Oh, that's really loaded. Uh, that's a loaded question. Whoa. Okay, I'm going to talk about it from the neurodiversity perspective. People have not, not heard about this perspective. Neurodiversity is the idea that uh, all of our brains are wired differently. Autism is, is one of the ways in which our brains are wired differently. It's just a manifestation of that. It's one of those neurodivergences. Right. So if I have understood it correctly, there is not some, anything wrong with being autistic. Did I get that correctly? There is nothing wrong and there is nothing right. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a matter of being in the world. Mm -hmm. But we are very clear, I would say, about the fact that autism is not a disease, but autism is a disability. Mm -hmm. Disability is, you know, impairment in the body when it meets uh, barriers in the in, in the environment is not really the body where the problem is. It's actually the barriers in the environment as well as attitudinal barriers and institutional, you know, barriers as well to right. everything, to being able to do everything as other people do. That's where the disability is. It's not necessarily in the body. So just to understand, is there something which people with autism find it difficult to do as opposed to, and I will use in air quotes, the non or, or normal people or non-autistic people? I, I don't even know if that is the right term to use. Uh, the large majority of the autistic community largely prefer identity first language. So we wouldn't say person with autism because we do not consider that that autism is something attached to us, but that is something that we are that we embody, that we are fully. Mm -hmm. So we prefer identity first language. So we use autistic people. Right. So just to clarify that, that's a big thing for us. So yes, uh, there are things that autistic people uh, struggle with. And I can't necessarily tell you what those things are because there's a saying or there's a, it's a common saying in the community. When you meet one autistic person, you've met one. Mm -hmm. We're all so different but I would say, you know, there's a lot of things that that I would say we share. And that is mostly our sensory system is like amplified. So let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. My hearing is 
amplified to a degree that is just wild, right? So it's as if I had one of those megaphones in my ear. Mm. And when an ambulance goes by or a fireman's truck, it's awful. Like I have to cover my ears. So have you seen uh, like images of autistic children wearing things like this that I'm wearing? Noise canceling headphones? I don't think I have actually. No, maybe. I don't know. I am because half the world is now nowadays wearing headphones, anyways, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're all wearing headphones right now. <laughs> but that's because certain people cannot even tolerate noises of like the environment. I'm not at that mm. level, but for me, stringent noises are really, really painful. Mm. So, Sarah. Uh, you have spoken about some characteristics of autism, uh, autistic people. Mm-hmm. By extension, uh, are there any things that are positive, extremely positive uh, about autistic people that are, or when I'm using the word positive, uh, I'm using it air quotes in the sense that they can do it better than people who are not autistic? Yeah, I mean, I'll be cautious with this because we should not use our talents and skills to just say, see, told you, autism is great. Mm. That throws other disabled people under the bus. Because we say, oh, I'm perfectly fine. My brain is fine, okay? I'm here, I'm super smart. Okay, and what does that say about people with intellectual disabilities? They're part of our disability mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. I say that we have certain talents that have contributed to a lot of developments in humanity. But that whole idea of the gifted and the savants, there's a lot of danger there. Right, um, I don't right. know if you ha- if you know the connections between Hans Asperger and, you know, the savantry and the Nazi project. So all of that stuff, we really have to, I think we have to be really careful with stuff like that, just because that's mm. also romanticizing you know how they put it in the films that like the numbers come at you. Right. So like that. in Rain Man with the mm. 3D numbers. To me, that's just like an idealized kind of like fictionalized way of showing it. That's cool. But I don't know that that's true. That's also romanticizing autism in ways that really do a disservice to the entire community. Because while we're focusing on that we are neglecting that autistic people are underserved. Mm. There are very little funds. A lot of people go undiagnosed. People go through a bunch of hurdles and barriers to get their needs met in terms of services, Mm -hmm. good quality of life, in terms of education. Mm -hmm. We're really thinking about savantry as this wonderful thing about autism. We're really missing the mark completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When people ask autistic folks, are you sure? Yeah. What do you think's behind their curiosity or urge to ask this? You know, I think there are different motivations um, when mm. we talk about bodily difference and mind difference, just simply because difference is something that attracts curiosity. Human curiosity mm. is just... That's kind of the center of our show, basically. That's <laughs> <laughs> all we ever talk about. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I was trained as, as a cultural anthropologist. So, you know, if you think about that in terms of the threat that autism poses to social and political structure in terms of certainty, Mm. control, 
this puzzle, this enigma. It is, I feel like an anxiety, like an anxiety of not knowing what is that that I don't recognize in me. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So people are just, they don't understand it and they want to feel a control over it. Well, think about it. Why do you think there is so much like scientific, you know, effort put into into trying to find the quote autism gene. Right. It's not even to get to know it, understand what it is, mm-hmm. harmoniously coexist. No, it's to have a hold on it and then destroy it. Right, right. It's to find a cure to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. The medical scientific community doesn't even understand it as a part of us. It understands it as this, as this attachment, and that's what they use person-first language. People with autism, because they think they can just like, remove it from us and just get rid of it. Right. So, Sarah, instead of asking, are you sure, is there something better that people should ask? <laughs> Is there, is, there, is there a good question here? Yeah. Or are we just going no questions? <laughs> yeah, I would say if a friend ever approaches you or a loved one or someone in your life who trusts you enough with information yeah. that's that private and that important in their life, you know, saying, and how does that make you feel? Or was that helpful? What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Just know what your friend or your loved one is feeling and thinking about Mm. instead of questioning your friend. You know, instead of like trying to probe, which is, trust me, your friend is already doing to themselves a hundred times over. You know, just validate and support that person who's sharing something so important to them in their life. Would you like me to offer support? Would you like me to not offer anything at this moment? Mm -hmm. What would you like me to do? It's like one of the most accessible ways of communicating to your friend. I'm here for whatever you need me to be here in this situation. Right. You know, like sharing that intimacy and giving that person that space to actually decide what they want you to do with the information they shared with you is one of the best ways I think to to interact so with this episode I have learned so many new things Mm -hmm. like the social anxieties which artistic people face. Also the heightened sensory experience, if I could say that. Yeah, for sure. Very interesting. And how these things can be so challenging uh, for artistic people. Hmm. Yeah, I really loved Jam's explanation of how, you know, being autistic is not something you could measure kind of on a scale, how it's about these different, like you said, sensory and social experiences and how you are not more quote-unquote high-functioning or low-functioning. There's different things you experience at different levels. It reminded me a bit of when my brother was little and people assumed that his autism would make it hard for him to express his emotions or to be social. But nowadays, he's really social and like very in touch with his emotions, which is, I think, not a way people expected. I, I also really 
learned about because of lack of uh, medical support mm-hmm. the community has efficiently managed to self diagnose and support each other yeah. which i found was absolutely fascinating yeah it's really lovely and i found it made a lot of sense that they do that given that diagnosis isn't always accessible mm-hmm. so 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 this episode had a unique quality i knew the question was inappropriate but i did not know why that question was inappropriate <laughs> so this episode clarified that so harp was right but he didn't know why absolutely absolutely <laughs> you've been vindicated <laughs> okay for once <laughs> i'm harvinder badwa and i'm elena hudgens lyle thanks for getting inappropriate with us huge thanks to our guests jamila and sara asavedo you also heard a voice note from kit hornby This episode's accompanying webcomic was illustrated by Rebecca Burgess. You can find it on Instagram at iq_podcast. Also make sure to visit cbc.ca/iqpodcast for a full transcript of this episode. The best buds behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. This episode was mixed by Olivia Pascarelli. Our chase producer is Sarah Melton, and our digital producer is S.K. Robert. Our senior producer is Jeff Turner, and our executive producer is R.F. Nirani. An inappropriate question is like your older co-host knowing more about TikTok. I was there only for one month. Okay, that's longer than me. <laughs> for more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.